Welcome to Inflection Points, where in each episode we talk about the pivotal moments in the careers of tech leaders that help them navigate a new path to growth. My name is Joe Hine, and in this episode we speak with Samaya Agnew, co-founder and CEO at Geeks, an innovative technology partner for changemakers and pioneering brands. You'll want to listen to this one because we discuss how her upbringing in Iran changed her approach to being an entrepreneur, cultivating a support network of superstars, how she makes sure women are represented at every level of the company, and her approach to rapidly evolving digital technologies. From SI Partners, this is Inflection Points. Samaya Agnier is a serial entrepreneur and tech founder. She is co-founder of Geeks, built WordUp, an app that has been downloaded over 5 million times, and most recently a tech university. Originally a technology strategist, Samaya leads Geeks to help senior leaders design, engineer, adapt the right software technology to accelerate their businesses. She's won the Queen's Award for Enterprise Innovation, the UK Innovation and Entrepreneurship Award, and a Gold Stevie Award for the most innovative company of the year in Europe. Samaya, welcome to Inflection Points. Thank you very much, Joe. Pleasure to be here. We should start with an inflection point at the beginning of your journey. As a woman growing up in Iran in the 1990s, how did you get into technology? Well, I didn't want to get into technology. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do remember as a, uh, we do this big exam to enter university. Okay. And um, I refused to choose computer software engineering as a, as a course, um, as a uh, major I wanted to do in university because I thought that's too dry. Yeah. Um, and I need something more human. Uh, I wanted to be a vet because I love animals. Mm. Um, and then I wanted to do physics because I thought that's fascinating. That's learning and, yeah. you know, understanding how the world works. And then I wanted to be a lawyer after a while because I, I love debates and complex complex conversations. Okay. But then it took me about a year to then understand, no, actually this is this is cool. The 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 way the world is moving, um, the computers and the technology and the software specifically, I learned mm. it's very the virtual world is more fascinating, <laughs> could be more fascinating and you could be having a lot more options than the, than the real world. So I, that's how I went to technology. And what turned you on to it? Was there anything, you know, that kind of made you realize, oh, this is, this is quite interesting. I think it was the power that you have because it was something that I felt you're not limited to the facilities of the university as long as you have like a laptop and you're connected to the internet, which is going to reveal my my age. Uh, it was like the beginning of the internet in back back home. So a few years, a few years, um, you know, behind behind the Western world. Yeah. But it was like so fascinating to be able to connect to the internet and and see. Wow, it's a whole whole different world. Mm. And that's where we're talking about, you know, being able to go to yahoo.com and <laughs> check the news <laughs> before you have to wait for the newspaper to come to come out as a printed version. But then the world the world of technology moves so fast that that everything gets more and more fascinating. Yeah. After studying uh, computer technology, you arrived in the UK at 22 years old. What was that experience like and how was the adjustment? It was, um, I haven't gone to real coma 
Right. But I guess I guess that's as as close as it gets to to like being in a in a, in 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 an environment that you have no understanding of. Oh wow. Um. So we lim with limited um um exposure to the language and the culture of the UK. Um. I I could speak English. I could understand English, but to a very um you know not not at the level that obviously I would I would um speak Farsi. And I do remember years after when I was getting my British passport and and um, becoming a citizen, you have to do an interview. And the person who was interviewing me asked me, how much British do you feel after being so, so, so many years in the country? How much? And it was after the interview was finished. So he was genuinely interested. And I said, I don't know. I think I'm fully British when I can understand Shakespeare. <laughs> because I can understand like the most complex like Farsi poems and stuff. So I, yeah. I think that's the limit. And he was like, no, so many English speaking people <laughs> don't understand Shakespeare. That bar is so high. Like bring your expectations now. Um, so I think it was. I do remember yeah. going to Brighton University. And when I arrived to Brighton, I was looking around and I was like, God, when am I going to understand when people are speaking there in the bus? Uh, when am I going to understand when I look around like the shops, when am I understand what are the brands? What do they actually sell? What are these shops? So it's like that level of being new to a, to an environment that you're you are on the street and you have no clue what the shops are. So it's very disorienting. It must be quite, yeah, quite scary at one level. Um, I love new things. So I wouldn't classify it as being scary. It's just disorienting. It's a bit like you feel like you're a bit tipsy. Yeah, yeah. You're a bit <laughs> drunk. Like not everything is a bit like you. What am I? Where am I going? What is happening? And then you you know nothing. Like you you have no clue. Like we didn't have to have a GP registered to go to see doctors back in Iran. So that whole concept is like what? Why should I register? Why can I not just go see people? Like why? So everything is different. Like literally everything is different so you feel like you're learning everything from scratch and um, i'm guessing that you quite like a challenge i do love learning i do love a good <laughs> yeah. problem to solve so yeah definitely and, and that kind of brings us to our next inflection point and um the founding of geeks your company a business you started in 2007 and have you've run ever since what was the sort of founding insight or the problem that you were trying to solve um, we did, um, me and my co-founders, we did um, experimented back in Iran with setting up, uh, setting up a business. Mm. Um, and I think the core of it is when, when you are a change maker at your core, mm -hmm. you just want to be able to make that change. Mm. Um, and we, we worked in a few different companies before we set up Geeks and I think that the desire was things are not are not fasting enough. They're not, mm -hmm. you know, there 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 are ways we could do we could deliver software differently. And and if we set up our own company, we are we have more freedom and we have more um, control over the pace at which we can change and we can um, implement new ideas. Um, I think that was the main reason. Yeah, and and is that why you made the leap into entrepreneurialism? I think it's a it's a slightly different view. I think, and I might be challenged by some, but I think you're 
it's in your core, like it's in your nature. You're either an entrepreneur or you're not. Mm. Because to be an entrepreneur, you have to be um, uh, comfortable taking risks. Mm -hmm. And that's not something you necessarily learn or develop. It's like you, it's in your upbringing. It's your probably early stage um, of development or or how you have been brought up is like have your parents allowed you to take risks have they allowed like enabled you to to experiment mm. um and i had loads and loads of it just because we were we we were four kids so with mm. that kind of environment not you're not going to be monitored closely so you get to you get to do whatever you want to do or at <laughs> a school you you i was i was allowed to experiment i had a lot of ideas implementation so i had failed enough to become comfortable with fail failing and not be scared of failing and yeah. um but also i don't know how far you need to go to your childhood to find out like how comfortable yeah, yeah. you are with um your need for certainty i think if you're if you have a big need for certainty, then you can't be an entrepreneur because it's all about uncertainty and you're, you're just, you know, uh, navigating new ter territories or you're navigating new, new ways. So you need to be comfortable. You, you should not have that big need for certainty. I think it's fascinating and the, and the, the psychology behind it. You touched on, you know, not needing, not having a fear of failing. Where, where do you think that comes from in you i think it's the desire to try new things that then over it's not that you don't have a fa fear of failure it's your desire to try is so much bigger that it overcomes your fear of failure you know if you want to try you're gonna inevitably fail and then you just accept it as part of the journey um so i think having that bigger desire to try and do something different then that overcomes the yeah yeah and, and i've heard it described entrepreneurism a, a bit like a bit like having a faith um is, is that belief um un unfaltering belief in a in what you're doing and where you, the direction you're going in is um allows you to do that i think it's seeing i, I <laughs> faith is a is a, is a slightly blind because you're not seeing exactly what you're believing in mm. i think entrepreneurship is seeing it before it happens <laughs> you're actually seeing how it could be that's why it gives you that much energy and determination because you have seen it that it could happen this is how the world could be this is this is how things are going to be if we solve this problem then you get a lot of motivation to go solve it cool and so you know for people that don't know can you tell us a little bit about geeks your company sure geeks is a technology company so software digital evolution what we call delivery so we we help our clients who are predominantly change makers to be able to make the change they want empowered by technology so these these days we are in, we are in an era of um massive change fast change mm -hmm. and i'm not going to mention the name the chat gpt that we all have heard <laughs> Um, we can come to that. Yeah, the, the, those kind of, like the, the fast pace change of technology and the world um, means if you really want to make a change, it has to be empowered by technology. Mm. So what we do is basically providing that end-to-end -end from a strategy to design to engineering service to design digital evolution roadmap for our clients and help them implement it 
mm. and, and see them to be a different species after each cycle of evolution. So the adoption of technology is resulting in them becoming a whole different business. Yeah, interesting. And as I mentioned in the intro, innovation has been a part of, I guess, your DNA as, as, a, as an individual and, and the achievements you have. Uh, and I guess it's part of Geeks as well. How, how does that, you know, wh- where does that innovation streak come from and how has it manifest itself in Geeks? It's interesting. It, it is, I agree, it is in our DNA. And I think it's, it happens when you start and the, the core of your, your team are innovative Mm. Then you start hiring people who get attracted to that innovation, and then you just become that. Just gets amplif- more and more amplified and multiplied. Mm. Um, so we do have a big culture of innovation. We have a lot of ideas. We constantly are trying to improve mm. Um, mm. the process of software development. We have created a lot of um, award-winning technology. You mentioned kindly the Queen's Award. That mm-hmm. we won that because of some of the technologies that we created that impact the way software is being made mm-hmm. um, to make it more successful. We do a lot of innovation for our clients, so we cannot lucky the, the the constant feedback we get from the clients that are involved in working with us is that um, like as a team, we have an obsession with finding mm-hmm. the right solution. And if yep. the right solution is not something that has been done before and is tried and tested, you know, obvious mm-hmm. choice, we are not afraid of going and creating a new approach. And, and how do you build innovation into the, into Geeks? Because, you know, a lot of people have got good ideas, but, you know, there's a day job there's delivering for clients that often gets in the way. Do, do you have methodology to create space for that innovation and, and to nurture it? The, the problem we have is some some... Clients, some companies, some businesses, they have um, uh, they have the problem of generating ideas. Mm. So, for example, there's a problem; they struggle to come up with new ways of solving it. We have a different problem. We have a problem of bringing. So, our challenge that we work on constantly as a as a uh, with my senior leadership team is around how do we bring discipline to our ideas? How do we bring uh, purpose? And and how do we bring ways of measuring what we are doing, yeah. which, which is hard when you have a very passionate, obsessive um, team with, um, with finding the right things, doing, like they get a lot of joy out of creating new things and building new, new ways. Yeah. Um, so the discipline comes from being methodical about it and try to apply some frameworks, some measurements and, and keep reminding each other and keep each other accountable that, yeah, brilliant. This is a, this is a really interesting mm-hmm. idea, but it's not part of the OKRs of this quarter. It's not part of the part of the plan of the year plan. Uh, what KPI is it going to move? What client value is it going to add? If we don't have a really clear, positive answer, then let's just talk about it over beer in the pub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep you really focused. I, I think that's a great way of doing it. And so you've been doing it for 16 years. Was there a point through those 16 years where you thought, I'm actually pretty good at this? Uh, am I going to sound pretty arrogant? <laughs> I, I think constantly when every day when I look back, I'm like, we are good at this. 
Yeah. But then when I look at what we were doing last year, I'm like, why did we think we are good at this? Like, we're so much better today. <laughs> so it's yeah. that constant yeah. improvement. Um, I feel it. I uh, The team feels it. So And it's, it, it's really interesting. It manifests itself uh, when we haven't seen somebody for a while. So say, mm. for example, somebody leaves leaves Geeks and then we see them after like a year, then they feel, oh, you have changed so much. This is not the same company. Or even we joke about it, like leadership team, when they go on holiday for two weeks, they come back and they're like, okay, what am I coming back to? What, what kind of company am I coming back to? <laughs> so we do, we like to be changing and improving and, and becoming better. Um, so is it a point that I felt like we are good at this? No, because I'd, every day I felt we are really good at this. <laughs> but then yeah, six yeah. months later, if you ask me about what we were doing six months ago, I'm like, mm, that, wasn't, that wasn't great. What we're doing today, how you're doing it today is amazing. So that constant yeah. growth is what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And you've got you to keep evolving. You've got to keep changing to keep yourself fresh. Definitely. But it wasn't always plain sailing. It hasn't always been plain sailing as you've grown. And, and there was one roadblock you hit in particular. And at the time you had a sort of flat management structure. And what was causing the problem? It's, um, it's a typical entrepreneurship problem. So you start, a small, you, you start as a startup, then you mm -hmm. grow. So that's where you're, you have a smaller team and everybody does everything. Yep. And then you start hitting certain growth stages where you're not able to do everything. Everyone can't do everything. So you start specializing roles and create different roles. And you hit certain stages when you feel like the flat management isn't working anymore because we have passed the, passed the size or passed the complexity that um, a flatter structure would work. Mm -hmm. And and big part of that is the level of collaboration that needs to happen and a level of growth that needs to happen. When you need everybody to grow, you can't have a flatter structure because it doesn't create the void spaces for people to step into. Okay. If that makes sense. So having having different levels is really important to grow your your team and also creating different um domains and creating different specialties allows people to get deeper in what their specialty is and mm -hmm. then creates better collaboration because you get different perspective as opposed to you have three founders that they all know all aspect of the business none of them is a specialized in any any part of the business then it means really none of them are doing really great job in, in different aspects yeah and I guess was that part of the team as well? The team had a relatively fat structure and everybody was, you were using resource in the most efficient way. It was a project, it was a project based structure. So every project had a team, but there was no kind of um, departments or functions or creating different levels um, of of each role in a, and separate from the traditional, you have junior developer, senior developer, technical, we, we always had them, yeah. but having different levels of um, function-based um, roles and responsibilities wasn't, wasn't there. And how did you realize there was a problem and it wasn't working? Because uh, we wanted to grow the business and we couldn't because you keep getting dragged into 
a certain level so you can't you can't lift yourself up um to to focus on growing the business so that's uh, again it's the same as like there you there is not enough void to be created for you to be able to step up and people are stepping into yours and how did how did you fix it like how did you go about trying to work out the problem because this when you look when you look retrospectively sometimes it's very obvious and very easy when you're in the moment it's it's sometimes not as as clear well but bear that in mind most of the entrepreneurs they are not um they don't have business study backgrounds <laughs> yeah. it, so they, you don't you don't go train to be an entrepreneur you're an entrepreneur <laughs> and then you have to go train yourself to be a business leader there are two two different um, a, um aspects of the job um so i think that the first point for me was the realization of uh, like it, knowing you don't know yeah because if you don't know you don't know then you're not going to change anything and that happened when i joined the business group and then got exposed to a uh, lot of different businesses in an intimate space in a safer space where you actually talk about the exact problems that you have and then you realize oh everybody else has this problem mm. but bar that business what they're doing why they don't have the problem that all of us have and then mm. you start having those conversations you start bringing expert to do, you know learn from yeah and and then it's you have that safer space that you bring an issue and then everybody else gets it and they are able to help you to uh, process it better, to unpack it, and then try different ways to see if you can you can solve it. And then they keep you bloody accountable <laughs> throughout the <laughs> throughout the next few months to to make it happen. So you can't say, "Oh, okay, thank you so much. We 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 discussed the issue. We, you gave me some suggestions, so I don't want to talk about it anymore." No, they made the the fact that they made you come back and report. Did you do it? Did you face any problem? What happened? Let's talk about it again. It makes you actually go and implement some of the changes. And that's the uh, that's sort of that external counsel, that external voice. I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't call it external voice only because you can get advisors who would give you the external voice. Right. I would classify that as that. It's like you have a team. Like being an entrepreneur, being a business leader is. Everybody says that it's. It's a lonely place, and you, you, the, the, because of how the responsibilities and how things are, you're not necessarily you don't have a team that you can freely make yourself vulnerable and discuss, you know, your challenges. Because sometimes the the um, the people in your team you don't want to expose them to certain certain problems because those problems might not be a problem <laughs> so you don't want to give them the stress but if it's in your mind you you want to unpack it you want to talk to somebody about it where again you, you could have business coaches to do that but I, the the reason i give a lot of value to a business peer group is because you see a lot of people in the same same space having the same issues you feel uh, there's a sense of we are a team <laughs> and we are all interested for each other's businesses to grow. So it becomes that safer space, but the space that keeps you accountable personally and professionally to grow. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I've heard you say that, you know, you are the average of the people that you hang out with. Can you explain that? Is it, is it, does it come from the same place? 
no, I read that somewhere. I think I read that on LinkedIn um, because I had read the <laughs> source, a source of all information, source of all truth. Yeah, <laughs> all truth. Um, I because I the the saying is like your average of the five people you surround yourself with. And what I read, um, which I think I was in, it was in LinkedIn. I read that no, it's not just the five people; it's all the people yeah. that you you even like the second and the third. So it's like not just who you surround yourself with, who they surround themselves with. Yeah, of course. So it's like a, it's a it's multi layers of of who you're around with. So I think that that is yes, that does come because it, it massively impacts your business when you are in a group. Then all each individual business leader in that group, they have people that they are exposed to and they are surrounding themselves, advisors and I don't know, speakers or whatever. And then all of a sudden you have, you're very resourceful. <laughs> you have a lot of yeah. support. You have a yeah, lot yeah. of option. And then you realize um, your growth as individual, your growth trajectory changes. Yeah, absolutely. If, if I may change the topic a touch. Go uh, on. I want to talk about something you're very passionate about, you know, female empowerment, particularly in the workplace. Yes. Um, and, and at what point does, you know, Geeks has got a huge focus on developing female talent. Um, at what point does this switch from being a challenge to being your superpower? And do you think we're there yet? Or, you know, if not, what more needs to happen? I think it's always both. Um, and I've learned that um, recently being in the past couple of years, because some people ask me some questions that made me realize it might be a challenge that I have chosen to ignore. <laughs> but, right. I, but I see that as a, I always saw that as a superpower. And I've been asked a lot being, uh, being an immigrant woman, uh, what, how do I feel in the, in the business environment? Mm -hmm. And my answer before two years ago was always, I feel great. Because I enter a room and I take all the attention because I'm not the norm. And people, want, people are curious. They want to know, like, who the hell is she? Like, what does she do? And why is she here? And, and then when you have the attention, you're able to communicate your message and what you do a lot better than you, you're just the norm. And then you have to work hard to get people's attention. Yeah. Um, and then I always um, got a lot of respect when people learned about my background or what I do being a woman in tech, being a woman in business. I got a lot of respect from from the people I was interacting with mm -hmm. until somebody asked me a question of, do you think you you get less? Uh, what was exactly? Do you think you get less male candidates when you're trying to hire because men might not want to have a woman as a leadership? I was like, what? <laughs> I never thought about that. Is that a problem? I don't know. I'm sure there are a lot of men that wouldn't, would have a struggle to, to be led by a woman. That's why it's a problem still. Like we don't have enough women in, like they might not have been even exposed. So they might not have experienced what does it feel like being led by, by, by a woman. But I never thought about that that way. I don't know. Are we losing <laughs> candidates because we are a women led business? And then it made me think, okay, if I look at it completely statistically, we should lose clients. We should lose candidates because the stats shows women lose funding. Mm -hmm. we have, there is a lot of a stat around like female founders are not being easily or as frequently um, funded by VCs and PEs yeah. because, because of whatever reason. And, and I said, okay, if, we, if I take that and apply it everywhere else, yeah, probably we are losing candidates and we are losing um 
clients, mm-hmm. but I don't have data to support it. I don't know yeah. if if we are if we are. What I do have is a lot of women when they come to us, they reference the fact that it's so inspiring to see um, a company, a tech company being led by women, mm-hmm. but also not just one woman. And that's, I think that's mm-hmm. what I am very mm-hmm. proud of. It's not like we have a business with one woman at the top. We have a business mm-hmm. with women present at every level of um, the team. So we have people mm-hmm. from the trainee position yep. up to the senior leadership team. We have lots of women in the, in, in the business. And we get a lot of feedback that people are inspired by it, male and female. I do have a lot of male colleagues that they say they really appreciate being in the business that there are lots of women because we talk about different things. We run things (laughs) slightly differently. Mm -hmm. And some of them even said it makes them think about their moms and their wives and their sisters and daughters, which which is amazing to hear. And, and in, in that it gives them a, a different lens or a different, you know, thought process behind their relationships they have? Yeah, it does, because we, we talk about issues that they might not have been exposed to in their families. Yeah. We openly talk about um, female specific issues like period, like menopause, like that. We, we bring them up and we demystify them. And I go around um, in the I make it part of the business uh, business normal day-to-day conversation that if you're period if you're in pain just talk about it. just let let your colleague know yeah as if if you have a headache you would let people mm-hmm. know i have a headache today <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with saying i i am period and i feel pain today yeah you know just be a bit nicer to me yeah <laughs> and and what what <laughs> what happens is that understanding like when I do that, then what I what I end up getting is like I come back to my desk and there's a hot chocolate on my desk. I'm like, isn't it wonderful? Mm-hmm. Like as if I had a headache, there would be like um I don't know a, a piece of chocolate on my on my desk to cheer me up. That if I'm not feeling physically well, then people are giving you a bit more love to make you feel you're cared for. So I think that changes their perspective of like, and uh, they get exposed to things that they might not be in their families. It, it must make a difference to your culture in what is, you know, a, a very technical business that, that has a, a history of being quite male dominated. Your culture must stand out and, and appeal to people. I, I would like to think that way. I would like to, but I, I am conscious I might be biased because, because <laughs> there are many other factors that impacts yeah. our culture. So having um, so the fact that we are we have so many female in the business, we 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 are very aware of protecting that. So we are not like in our interview process, we check um, if we are hiring any female or male. We check, in, especially in senior positions, we check can do they can they evidence that they have grown and mentored women. Mm-hmm. If they can't evidence it, we won't hire them because we, want, we don't want to risk. And it might be a bit harsh, but we don't want to risk because it's so hard to create and foster and grow what we are trying to do that if you're not careful, if it brings somebody that doesn't know how to do it, isn't passionate about it, doesn't believe in it, um, then it could destroy years of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means the male in, in our business, they are very uh, high empathy. They are very... Mm-hmm 
interested in learning how to work with females and how to mentor them if they are mentoring them or how to be led by them. We, we have male colleagues that openly talk about how does it feel to be led by uh, by women and what does dif- what difference does it make in their leadership growth when when they are being led by by women. Mm-hmm. So I think they are they are a big factor as well. So I don't want to say it's just just the women is no of course we are selective of the main men that we bring in which is which is a great fact yeah yeah but it but it's about protecting that that in that environment that culture that nurturing that empathy um i've heard someone say that it's about developing you've got to develop your people before you develop software um because your people that develop the software and, and you've got to create that right environment and i think you sounds like you found a way of doing it that works for you guys i i want to move on to a slightly different inflection point and a different part in your journey. And um, you've built an AI language app called WordUp. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you've had 5 million downloads. I mean, absolutely incredible. Why did you build the app? That goes back to when, when we came, me and my um, partner, we came to UK and uh, we are both very competitive okay. and slightly perfectionist. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> being an entrepreneur, you have those traits. Um, <laughs> So we wanted to better our English faster mm-hmm. so we can make the right kind of conversations. So we started, um, and that sounds stupid, we started um, memorizing the dictionary. Okay. So we started from the first page and we, we, we said, how long is it going to take? Like, how hard is it going to, is it going to be? We just learn every word. <laughs> and then it takes probably five minutes before you, you realize, like you do two couple of pages and you're like, this is ridiculous. Not every word has the same value. Why am I learning this weird word that I've, I don't even know where is it going to be used? <laughs> so that became a topic that we kept talking about and we kept trying to solve the problem of like what is the most important word that we need to learn how could you learn the most important word because there's so many words now i know there are more than 200,000 words in english mm-hmm. and 95% of those words you never come across okay there is that 5% that if you master then you're going to be great in communicating whatever you want to communicate or understand. Yeah. But that 5% is different for individuals. Mm-hmm. So depending on which industry you're in, depending on um, you know what you do and what you're interested in, that 5% of the words are going to be different. Example, if you're not into art and you don't go to galleries and you don't, you know, you're not interested, you don't talk to artists ever, then there are certain words that you don't need to learn. So learning them is going to be a waste of your time. Um, so we started this, this kind of uh, thought process kept us very interested and very busy. And we um, played with different algorithms. We played with different approaches. We tried to see if there is an app that does it. We tried to find like if there is any book written about it or anything. Like we, we kept searching and we came to the to the place that no, there isn't nobody that nobody does think this way nobody seems to understand the need so everybody teaches when you want to learn english everybody teaches you the same words yeah whereas the same words are not useful for everybody so that was one one big problem the other big problem was if you learn a new word and english is not your um, native language meaning you haven't built up your vocabulary in context schools and playgrounds and tvs and stuff 
you don't have an understanding of the emotion of the world and the gravity of the world. So you won't really understand um, when you have different synonyms, which one to use where. Why would you say a fast car and not a quick car? Like, what was the difference? So it's like bringing bringing language into or bringing context to the language was another big problem. My biggest fear was always like, because uh, it happened once I learned a word, which I've forgotten now. I learned a word like really early on and I used it. And and my friend who was native, he laughed. He couldn't, he couldn't like stop. And I was like, what? And he was like, you sound like my grandma. That's the <laughs> word that she would use. What, where did you learn that word? I'm like, I don't know. Like, how do I know it's a grandma word and not, not a today, you know, modern word. So those, those are the pains that if, if English is your, um, not first, not native, then you're, you're, you're struggling with. So that's where we started, um, basically building word up based on building a knowledge map of what the users know. And their interest and their context, like what 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 their goal is, what their industry they are in, what they want to do, um, I don't know how old they are, what TV shows they like, what characters, politicians, like actors, blah blah, what they like, and then try to uh, to use AI to contextualize and highly personalize the word list that they need to learn, which is the word list is different for every single person, depending on what they need to learn. Interesting. What were your expectations when you launched it? Did you realize it was going to be so big? Um, the, the very first versions, that wasn't an app. It was, it was trying to build the concept. We really were doing it for ourselves. We were trying to solve the problem of like, how do you learn? So it was more of like a, like interesting personal challenge to solve. Okay. But then when it, when it become an app, you just want it to be big. And we don't think it's big enough because we think it has so much more, like looking at the, the size of the language learning market, the English language, and it's a still growing uh, market. Mm. We want more people to to access it we want, we want more people to be able to use it because it's it's the feedback we get from the users that are using it is that it's life changing it's different mm-hmm. from anything else that they have seen and they have tried brilliant so we have for example the rating and the and the reviews on apple store and google store they're like 4.9 which is wow not normal you don't get those kind of rating <laughs> yeah. on on on, on apps so we like it to be, be bigger. We want it to be more accessible to more people. And what's been the, uh, the impact on you on the, or the impact on geeks? In what sense? Impact of Word or just of, or? of Yeah, of the Word Up, the app and the, the success of, of the app. I think everything you do when, when, when you're not limited to one business, when you do different, different businesses, then you mm. start learning... It's like learning more about yourself and why you're picking mm. certain challenges to solve. And then, and even in the context of geeks, it becomes about like, why are we picking the clients we are picking? What are we trying to do? Like why we like certain projects, why we get excited about certain problems. And I think what, what it had done to myself and, and it, you, you see the impact of that to geeks is that desire to grow and make a positive impact 
with technology on the world, like solving big challenges with technology, that tech for good, be, be it for our clients or be it like on, on, a, on an application like WordUp, or most recently, as you referred to, um, creating a university to multiply the impact, which we want to create more tech leaders who think this way so we can, we can uh, the impact could be completely taken to the next level. And, and Samar, I want to ask you a question, if I may. The, you know, so many technology businesses that I've worked with, I know about, have a service part of their business and then they see the opportunity in, in IP, in, in, in building a product. Uh, how do you do that without you know, corrupting or affecting the other part of the business with, with, a, you know, with the attention put somewhere else? Um, I would take it to the next level. Businesses who think they have to build an IP, they are behind. Interesting. They should be thinking how to evolve to become a tech business. So how do they, it's gone are the days. And this is something I was saying before the advancement, recent advancement of the AI, mm-hmm. that in, I used to say in five to 10 years, businesses who are not a tech business, um, they will disappear. They will be taken over by the businesses who are going to be the tech business in their, in their industry. Mm-hmm. And when I wanted to make them fear a little bit more, I would say like, are you not worried Amazon just for fun want to, but decides to come to your industry? They can just destroy like they're for fun. They can just come and come and do that. Mm-hmm. But in, in, real like examples and real worlds is because the world is changing so fast and the the new generation the gen z's and millennials are becoming the leaders of the business and gen z's are coming to the to the workforce if you're not a tech business you're just going to be irrelevant so creating ip i would say is an old-fashioned thinking they need to be thinking how to transform their business, how to evolve their business to become a tech business. Um, and then add to that all the AI advancements and that just accelerate that ten, <laughs> five to 10 years is like three to five years now, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so interesting. Samaya, so thank you ever so much. Um, it's great to hear your story. One final question before you go and I ask all of my guests, um, we've been looking back and I'd like to look forward and just ask you what's exciting you about the next 12 months. Um, I am particularly very, very excited about seeing how we learn to coexist with AI as a society and as a business society, like as a whole society and as a business society. Yeah. So for me, venturing to that uncharted territory, it's like me coming to UK. And I like to see how do we go into this new uncharted territory that we haven't been in to, which is coexisting with AI um, and learn how to do it, how to do it safely, ethically, properly um, and become uh, creating better experience for everybody. Yeah, I think the, the, the ethical side is, is, is a lot to be worked out there. Would you, would you hazard any predictions as, as to what the, or how it's going to pan out? Well, I would refer you to, or your listeners to, so I, I record a podcast call, called Innovation Room, and I'll try to bring um, forward thinking people in, in, in that sense. So we are, we are launching a new series from April. The first episode, opening episode is going to be focusing on that. So what is going to be the, f- the, the 
future, near future, and I've invited a, a futurist to talk about it, which has been fascinating when I recorded it. Brilliant. So I think what that what if I shorten it, like whatever we think, it has the capacity to happen in the next five years. Probably is going to happen in the next five six months. Yeah. So that's the that's the kind of shift and change that we are going to experience. Wow, just an acceleration, massive explosion. <laughs> and and say the name of your podcast again for the listeners. The Innovation Room by Geeks. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I will shoot. I'll get onto it and make sure I listen when it comes out in April. <laughs> thank you, Samaya. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Inflection Points is a production of SI Partners. SI Partners is a leading corporate finance boutique for agencies, consultancies, and technology providers at the forefront of the digital economy. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Joe Hine, and you've been listening to Inflection Points.